how we feel this moment, God. We are speaking our truth that we believe. When our heart and flesh fail, when we don't understand, when we're afraid, we find such strength when we can submit ourselves to you and sing it out that we don't want to be afraid. We don't want to be captivated by fear. We want to put our trust and our faith and reliance in you. As you tell us clearly that when we are weak, you are strong. And God, as a country and as a world right now, we're weak. So we take some time over the next few moments to just talk to you, express our heart to you, to cry out for those, God, that are hurting right now. We pray you would just receive our prayers. It would be a sweet aroma to you to hear your people, your children crying out to you all they have and all they are. In Jesus' name. Father, we just continue the leaders of this church and the people of this church, your church here on Hilton Head Island. would bring peace into the midst of a storm like we've not ever seen in our lifetime. And God, while we may have fear that comes from our flesh, God, we know that we can depend and we can trust and we can put our hope in you, Father. And God, I pray that you would prompt each one of us, God, that you would prompt the people who are here, the people of the United States, the people of South Carolina, God, the people of this world to take seriously your words from 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 14 during this time when you said this, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And God, I wanna to begin today by just allowing you to heal the land within each one of us. Father, may your Holy Spirit search us from within. God, may you find where there's been a turning away from you, where there's been a rebellion against you, where there's been turning a, a deaf ear towards your words to us and your word to us. And Father, I just, I pray right now for those around the world who have lost loved ones because of this virus. God, I pray for those families who are still in mourning all across the world. God, whether it's in the far east or right here on our shores. God, I pray that you would make yourselves known. Would you make yourself known to those family members? God, may this be an opportunity for them to somehow, in some way, through some revelation, see you and accept you as their savior. God, I pray for those right now, the three in Beaufort County, the 2,000 or more in the United States, and the hundreds of thousands around the world who are currently sick or recovering from this virus. Father, I pray for your healing hand to be on them right now. God, may you heal them. God, I pray for our world leaders, our national leaders, our state leaders. God, may you give them wisdom. May you impart to them wisdom in the decisions that are being made daily 
because of this. God, I pray for those leaders, especially right now in Italy and in Spain and in France, God, and right here in our country. I pray that you would give them wisdom that can only come from you. I pray for our own community leaders, God, our mayor. God, I pray for our, our leaders of this town and this county. God, I pray that as they're contemplating decisions even right now that you would give them supernatural wisdom that comes from you. May you be with our healthcare workers. Father, I pray that you would be with those nurses and those doctors and all the people that support the hospitals and the, the urgent care centers. Father, I pray that you would keep them from evil. Be with our educators. Father, right now, I pray that you would be with our educators, our administration, our teachers, who so much pressure is on because of this. And God, I pray that people who don't know you through this situation would turn to you. God, I pray as we've just prayed that they would hear that the only hope in the midst of the greatest crisis that we perhaps have seen in our lifetime is you and it's you alone. And Father, I pray alongside that, that you would bring revival to us. Those who have already called you our savior, those of us who have already put our trust and our hope in you, Father, would you bring revival to our lives? And we, your people, the leaders of this church now commit these next few minutes to you, these next days to you. God, may you be in control and may our hope and our anchor be solidly in you and you alone. And I pray this all in the strong and the mighty and the powerful name above all names and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated this morning. You guys can be seated. I wanna thank you so much for those of you who are here today. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but you're here today and I am very thankful, and I'm thankful for the audience that's joining us right now on Facebook Live, on our social media outlets, and on our website. Why don't we here in this house give them a round of applause this morning? Thank you. I don't know if you know this, but we have um, several hundred people who join us um, not, not the day of, but at least throughout the week on an average basis. Um, we have several hundred people who join us on live throughout the week, um, whether it's on Sunday morning, and I'm sure there are dozens who join us on Sunday morning. And um, I, I know that there are people who join throughout the week, and that total ends up being several hundred, which is just amazing. And I'm sure it's more today, and we're thankful for that. And my, my phrase that I often use is, is that um, our live online Facebook and website uh, services are, are there for your convenience. And, and I often will say, uh, when you're here, be here and utilize that when you're you know, not here. Um, that may change this week. So and we'll keep you posted on that. And I do want to encourage you to um, just stay attuned to your email. Stay attuned to all the different um, social media outlets so that you guys can have the latest information on what we are doing as a church. And also, my prayer is, is that we can find ways to help our community um, without gathering in mass. And so you guys will hear about that. We'll find ways to do that if we possibly can. Today, we're continuing in our series called Losing My Religion. Little did I know when I named the series that we would be in the midst of this crisis that we're in. It's really kind of um, amazing to think about that. 
But today, if you're here, I want to invite you to um, turn to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And over these last few weeks um, in our series, we've purposely um, had you hear from some of our own and hear their testimony of a changed life because we're in this series called Losing My Religion where we're looking at um, how things change, how religion changed to a relationship with Jesus. And we're doing that through the lens of the Apostle Paul who had a most radical change in his life. And so you've heard these stories of life change throughout this series. And I'm gonna ask Mike Fisher if he would come up here on stage. Mike is a good friend of mine. He's going to make his way up here, and as he's doing so, um, why don't you give it up for Mike Fisher this morning? <laughs> Mike uh, and Kim have been with us, I think, now for several years as one of ours. And um, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, Mike, we heard from Paul Garrett. And Paul talked about how his testimony was unique. And in fact, the story of, of God drawing us and us accepting him, us receiving him, um, we all have a very unique, different story. And yours is um, just as unique. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your God story this morning, Mike? Sure. Um, my story actually ends with the impact of four simple words. But it began back in Park Ridge, Illinois, where I grew up. And unlike other stories that you've heard, I didn't grow up in a church family. Uh, my parents, at best, were erratic Christmas and Easter churchgoers. So my recollection as a young boy in the early 50s was church was where I went for Cub Scouts and later Boy Scouts, and reluctantly most Sundays, accompanying my grandmother to Sunday service. It was sitting on hard pews and staring ahead at the King James Bible and the Methodist hymnal. And you can imagine for a young boy, it was easy to tune out. And I did. And I tuned out for most of my youth, for my college years, and regrettably, even as an adult, as a father, I repeated my parents' mistakes and didn't provide them the spiritual foundation they truly deserved. And it wasn't until I was in my 50s when I married Kim and we joined Andy Stanley's North Point Church in, in Atlanta, and I began to attend church regularly. And I remember one service, Andy based his sermon on Revelations and specifically, Revelations 3.20, where the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man hears my voice. Mm. And I thought about those words, and I felt that God was using Andy's words to talk to me. Mm. But whether it was fear or an unwillingness to submit, I turned my back mm, mm. until two years ago when those four simple words were said to me in my oncologist's office at the Mayo Clinic. We had uh, beaten mantle cell lymphoma into remission, but here I was four months later in Dr. Schur's office, and after going through multiple biopsies 
and scans. Dr. Schur told me that a new cancer had invaded my body. We were crushed. And as we got up to leave, Dr. Schur and I, as was our custom, hugged. And he looked at me and he said, God be with you. And I have to tell you, my knees buckled. And as we drove back from Jacksonville that day, I thought about those words. And I thought about them over the next several days. And that Sunday, I came to church and saw you afterwards. Now, you, you didn't know me. I didn't know you. But I knew Kim. Uh, yep. You knew Kim, but you knew that Kim had put me on the prayer right. list here. Yes. And I told you that I came to realize, after hearing those words, that God had always been with me. I just hadn't been listening. And that brought revelations back because it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And those four words were the knock. And I heard them, and I opened the door, and I allowed Christ into my life and the Holy Spirit into me. That's awesome, man. Now, That's awesome. Absolutely. And I guess if there's a lesson, I would tell you that no matter your age or your circumstances, you too can hear the knock. And you can choose to let God into your life. God be with you. After all, he always has been. That's awesome, man. Man, Mike, thank you so much. But, but before you leave, man, I, I'm going to ask you this question. Because when we think about Paul, when I think about your life, man, and I got to sit with you a few weeks ago, and, and we sat for a couple hours, man, and you just unpacked all that God had done throughout your life, and it's, 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 it's an amazing story. Um, but, but he was knocking that whole time. And, and you finally answered the door. Like, you know, I, at my house, I don't like it when people knock on my door, man. It interrupts me, right? It interrupts my life. It interrupts my flow. They knock on the door. He was knocking for a long time. What, what changed? What changed in you? What difference did it make? Well, a um, couple things. I brought two books with me. Um, the first is Mark Batterson's mm. Draw a Circle, uh, which I got to uh, read during your uh, series back in the fall. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I got down on my knees, and I mm. talked to God every day. Mm. Um, in the second book, a good friend of mine here, Bob Nelson on the island, mm. gave me the New Living Translation of the New Testament. Mm. Now, I told you about the King James Bible, and my <laughs> wife Kim had given me a NIV New Testament as a Christmas present the year we were married. But this is the first Bible I opened, mm. and I've read it cover to cover. And I'm in it, awesome. reading it the second time. Awesome. And I start every day. I'm up early, and I have my quiet time. And I get on my knees, and I talk to God. Mm. And then I spend time reading his holy word. Mm. Yeah, awesome. um, mm. I like this Bible because it has some read-alongs called Cornerstones yeah. and First Beginnings. Mm. And one of them, based out of Hebrews 13, says that to find true joy in your life, 
You need to put the will of God first, mm. the needs of others second, and yourself last. And I, and I have to tell you, as a type A, mm. that is a very <laughs> difficult challenge for me. So I mm. spend mm. most mornings mm. starting my prayer, mm. asking God's forgiveness for my inability mm. to do that. Man. Man, that is so huge, Mike. I, I got to tell you, um, this idea of humbling ourselves before God, it sounds like that is one of the greatest things that changed. And I can tell in your countenance, I can tell um, just in right there, man, God's, God's still doing something. He's still working in your life. He's still moving in your life. And Mike, what he didn't say is he's still in the middle of chemo. And so let's, as a church, be praying for Mike Fisher. In fact, I haven't told you this, but I want to pray for you right now. And, uh, man, he had, had, had chemo this week, two rounds of it, um, for, uh, remind me, Hodgkin's non uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yes, yes, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So let's be praying for Mike. Man, thank you so much for your testimony, Father. I pray for Mike in the strong name of Jesus, God, that you would just do an amazing work, continue to do the work that you began, as Philippians reminds us, God. And I pray that you would, um, God, just strengthen him, that you would strengthen his body. And God, I pray that you would use him in a remarkable way. You would be with the doctors. God, as we just prayed to heal our land, I pray that you would heal his body, God. And I thank you for his testimony this morning. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Why don't you guys give it up for Mike Thank this you. morning, buddy? Thank you so much. We'll do the we'll do the bow, bow bump. There we go, the bow bump. We are in this series, and Mike, I'm so thankful for your for your testimony because it dovetails so well into so many aspects of what we've been talking about and what we're going to be talking about today. Paul, this man of God who had this radical, remarkable change from his time as Saul, and we've talked so much about that, and I'm not going to backtrack and talk about that again. You guys know the change. You can go back and listen to the messages that are online to hear about the change, but one of the things about Saul, who became Paul, that he was so concerned about was he was concerned about his religious reputation. Before Jesus he was probably only concerned about his religious reputation. You talk about a type A, man, Saul, Paul, was a type A. And so God had to do something radical to get the attention of this man who was wrapped up in who he was as a religious leader, as a Jew of Jew, as someone who knew the law and obeyed the law to the extent that he did that he even killed for the purpose of the law. And so Paul's reputation, he was wrapped up in it before Jesus. In fact, I would even say this, even though we view him as a killer of Christians, from the Jewish legal standpoint, Paul, before Jesus, had the best of religious reputations. He hung his religious reputation hat on adherence to the law, on his zeal, and in, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, we see him talking or writing to a church in Galatians. ...group of people, away from another group of people. They're trying to determine who they are in Christ. And Paul writes them this letter, and he talks about his reputation, and he talks about how he was known. 
And at this point in his life, it's one of the first books that he wrote. At this point in his life, he's several years away from that Damascus Road conversion experience. And he's realized the depth of his sin and the depth of his uh, depravity of his reputation. And so he says this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. The words will be on the screen this morning. He says, for you have heard to the church in Galatia, churches, by the way, of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And so he goes on and he discusses how he did that, and he, he talks with great honesty about who he was before Jesus and about his ambition to have a perfect reputation according to the religious people of the day, caused him to kill Christians. And then in Galatians 1, 23 and 24, at the end of that chapter, he says, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You see, Paul is essentially saying here that his old reputation is old. And he was embarrassed from a sin standpoint, from the standpoint of wanting to honor God about what he had done, about the extent that he had gone to. But he essentially saying that God was still glorified even in my old story. You know how some of us don't want to talk about the story before Jesus? It's ugly. It's messy. It's not spit-shined. It's not real pretty. You can't spit-shine today, by the way. It wasn't all cleaned up. It hadn't been disinfected. How about that? Was that better? That was better. Okay, so anyway. So like he had not, he had gone through this process, and so so many of us get caught up in who we are after Christ, and that's what the world needs to hear. There's no doubt what the world needs to hear, but church, I'm here to tell you today that we, as God's people, cannot forget where we've come from, even if it's ugly. And even if it's a mess, we can't forget where we've come from. And Paul knew that his old reputation was old, that it was steeped in the past, that it was yesterday, that it was not today. And how many of us try to, like, we we, we don't just, like, sometimes we want to, like, so much forget the past. We want to forget our old reputation that we kind of disassociate with it. And we forget the work that God has done. But then we may go to the other extreme and we may live in that old reputation trying to live up to a religious standard that Jesus came to completely die for. We as people need to find that our old reputation is that. It is old, it is yesterday, it's not today, but that God has got it. We need to remember that Paul got to the place that he realized that he was brand new in Christ. In fact, he writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is, say those next two words with me, in Christ He is a, say those next two words with me, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we sometimes look at our past, we look at the ugly parts of our past, and we try to live in that, or we try to completely disassociate it, and we need to remember where God has brought us from. But here's the problem with religious people. 
is that we get caught up in our religious system and all of a sudden the religious system becomes the old. Trying to abide by or adhere to or measure up to a standard that is old. And God is always making us new. He's always making us new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, the change in Paul's reputation seemed strange. Imagine the churches in Galatia. Galatia's in this kind of, this no man's land of that first century. It was in this area, kind of in Turkey, a little bit between kind of like where you would travel to get to Rome. It wasn't quite in Ephesus. It was in, in this real hilly mountainous country where there, was, there were a lot of dangerous things and people. There were things that, that caused danger. And so this is one letter that Paul wrote to a group of probably smaller churches that were in this area of Galatia. And this was kind of one of the first times that the Gentiles were reached with the gospel. And so this was a very unusual thing. And so imagine the change that's taking place. No wonder he says in Galatians 1, 23 and 24, they were only hearing it said, he, this Paul guy, is the one that used to persecute us and now is preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. It's to be like Osama bin Laden had he not died being transformed by Jesus and coming back to the United States and preaching the gospel to us. It's crazy, isn't it? It's hardly believable. And here's this man named Paul now who's gone through this great change, but the church there in Corinth and the church in, in Galatia and the churches saw this change in Paul's reputation. And while it seemed strange, I'm sure they thought, hey, this is pretty cool. This guy is now preaching the message that we have put our faith in and we've put our trust in. Something was different and it was refreshing. See, church, I want you to hear that regardless of what your reputation is in the past, whether it was for evil or for religion, I want you to hear that because of your relationship with Jesus, you will be different today than you were yesterday. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you will will be different today than you were yesterday. He changes everything. He changes everything. You'll be different today than you were yesterday. And we as God's people, we seem to talk about people, ourselves and others sometimes in the past tense you see, Paul's story when it comes to his reputation was one of a religious reputation that was steeped in the law, was steeped in perfection, or at least a striving for perfection that got run out of control. But what Jesus wants is not a religious reputation. He wants a relationship reputation. And he wants it with you. He wanted it with Paul. He wants it with all of us. He wants our reputation to be based on our relationship with him. It's interesting, Galatians 2, as we kind of progress in Galatians 2, we see in, in these churches in Galatia this interesting thing happen, and I'm sure that you wanted to wake up this morning in the middle of coronavirus and hear about circumcision, but you are. There was this rise of this 
adherence to the law in one area of the law, and it was circumcision. And there was a group that was rising up among the, the, the Jews that were serious, that they thought that the Gentile adults needed to be circumcised. Okay. All right. And you know, the early church dealt with this because Jesus dealt with it. He brought it to an end. And the early church determined that based on Jesus' writings that this was no longer needed for religious adherence to the law. They had solved it. It was done. It was a done issue. So Galatians 2, 1 through 5, is Paul talking about this situation that happens where this group of ones that wanted circumcision to be part of the religious reputation of that day when the church, and by the way, Jesus had brought it to an end, they were trying to bring it back. And Paul and even James, kind of the leader of the first church, and Peter, who you're going to see in a minute, his name is Cephas, they had all come to this agreement that to reach the world for Christ, to reach Gentiles who were uncircumcised for Christ, that they needed to bring this to a close because Jesus brought it to a close and that that would open the door to a whole, wait a minute, catch this new race of people, that the gospel was going to go now beyond just the Jews and it was gonna be made available for all men and women. And so we see Paul speaking up because there was something different. And he sees that there's this group of people that come back into the church that are trying to bring this old system of religion, circumcision back in the church. And he says this in Galatians 2, 6, and he says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. You see, these ones that were coming back into the scene were the ones that were saying, you need to dress better than you do for church. You need to polish up your language and your attitude for the church. They were coming in and they were adding to the gospel. They were bringing something new into what Jesus had already finished they were saying that there's, there's unfinished work of Jesus on the cross. And Paul wasn't impressed with their religious reputation. But more importantly, God was not impressed with their religious reputation. And he is not impressed with yours or mine. He is impressed with our heart. That's what he wants. That's what he desires is our heart. He is not impressed with our religious reputation. See, according to the band of Christ followers in this church and in the church at large, this was an issue that had been brought to a close. See, all throughout the course of human history, legalists have been trying to bring back into the church, capital C, issues. A few centuries later, it was baptism. A few centuries before and later, it was how to conduct communion. That's still one that exists today. Baptism is still one that exists today. You see, people from the legalist background will always try to come in and squelch the freedom that we have in Christ, which means that they're going to try to squelch our heart for him. And Paul speaks up boldly against this. Check this out in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. He says this, but when Cephas, that's Peter, by the way, is the other name for Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, 
I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And in verse 12, he says, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. He's talking about these circumcision, the circumcision party in the church. He says, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? <laughs> like Paul burned Peter in that moment, right? That was the ultimate mic drop moment burn, am I right? He stood up against him because here's what Peter did. Peter, like the rest of the church, had come to the conclusion that the gospel was for the Gentiles, that this issue and many others were brought to a close, and that was what was really important was what we didn't see, and that's the heart. And so Peter would dine with the Gentiles, comfortably. He would go to their lunch table and he would sit with the uncool religious kids. It was represented by different behavior, a different race, different background, different culture, and Peter sat with them. But when the good religious leaders promoting legalism showed up, what did Peter do? He left their table and he said, I'm not with them. And he walked over to be with the religious people. And Paul says, shame on you, man. Shame on you. This is hypocrisy. It's inconsistent. Listen, the damage that we do, Christians, the damage that we do when we decide that we are not going to sit at the lunch table with the unpopular religious people, the damage we do sometimes And Paul here was trying to bring that to a close. He was trying to stand up for it. He knew, Paul knew, that his religion led to arrogance and judgment. And he saw it in Peter and he stood up to it. You see, being proud of your religious reputation always leads to an arrogant heart and a judgmental spirit. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you have been on the other end of this, haven't you? You've been the one sitting at the table when you thought that you had a Christian friend and realized that you didn't as soon as legalism entered the room. As soon as someone else who is nicer and shinier and more polished, disinfected, showed up, they left your table and they went to be with them. And Christ followers, especially in this day, especially in these days of days, we have a responsibility to stomp out any arrogance that we might have that is based on our religious reputation. I grew up in the church and I saw this over and over and over again, especially in college. I saw it all over the place in college. 
And I came from a very mixed background. It wasn't quite like Mike's, but it was something similar to that. I came from a bit of a different background. And so I didn't even measure up sometimes, and I felt ostracized. You see, we have a tendency to do this to the world, but we also have a tendency to do it to our own. We have a tendency to not see people the way that Jesus sees them. We have a tendency to see even Christians who are going through the process of becoming more like Christ and maybe struggling through it. We have a tendency to push ourselves away from their table because it's not pretty. It's not like we think it should be. Church, we need to see people, non-Christians and Christians, right now where they are in their relationship with Jesus. And we need to grab their hand. No, don't grab their hand right now. We need to come alongside them and be with them and be in the journey together. We need to see them the way that Jesus sees them. We need to be reminded ourselves that Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If we could love like that, man, the world would be shocked. Just like they were with Paul. Man, this guy is different. He's different. He's standing up to other religious leaders who have pulled themselves away from us. This man is different. See, the house of God becomes divided, and it becomes divisive when we judge other Christians and have a haughty spirit. And Mike, man, I'm so glad that you mentioned that one of the great things that's changed in your life, and you came from a non-church background, but you talked about this idea of being humbled every day by God, Christ follower, now more than any other time in our lives. It's a time for us personally in the presence, in his presence, to be humbled by him, to be wrecked by him in private so that we can speak for him in public, so that we can be ones who announce him in public. We go on and we see that in Galatians 2, and I'm skipping over some verses for time, but in Galatians 2, 15 through 21, Paul says this, we ourselves are Jewish by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through, what's that next word? Faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. See, our new reputation, church, I want you to hear this. Our new reputation in Jesus is based on our faith in Jesus, not our adherence to the law. It's based on faith in Christ alone, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. It's based on faith in Christ alone, not adherence to the law. And that changes everything. That changes everything. I, I love it because you see so evidently, and here's where we'll close today, you see so evidently this idea how Paul, he, he was so steeped in this past religious reputation that just about ruined him and just about ruined any work that he would do in the future, but he allowed God's Holy Spirit to change him, to make him that new creature, that new creation in Christ. So much that he writes to the church in Corinth later in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, and he tells us about what he boasts about now. Because what he used to boast about was his adherence to the law. 
But now what does he boast about? Check this out. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I love that part. I love that part right there. He says, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago got caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or if out of the body, I don't know, only God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, he says, I will boast. So he boasted about someone else and what God had done with them. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my what? My weakness. My weakness. He says, though if I should wish to boast, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth about his weakness. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. He says, so to keep me from boasting, conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. We don't know if it was a physical condition, a sin, a struggle, a person, a messenger of Satan to harass me. He was tormented to keep me from becoming, what's that next word? Conceited. Three times I pleaded, he says, with the Lord, but he said to me in verse eight, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power. Listen, you need to hear this today. You need to hear this in this time, church. You who are listening online, you need to hear this now. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, that's what God does when he uses the humble servant. He takes the thing that we don't want to boast about, and he uses it not for our glory. He may or may not use it for our good, but he will use it for his glory if we allow him to. He says, therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the, sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships. We're not facing that right now, are we? Or persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, church, the goodness of God is fully evident in our lives. When we leave our religious reputation behind and live out loud the new things that Jesus is changing in our hearts. My question to you today in these day of days is how are you changing because of Jesus? How are you being transformed because of him? It is in your weakness that you will be strong. It is through your weakness that Christ Jesus will most be glorified. It's through your humility that he will do the most work in your life, especially in these day of days. Father God, I pray for your church right now. I pray that you, that your Holy Spirit would sweep a wind of change in and through us. And God, I, I admit that there have been moments and times in my life that I have 
tried to stand on my own pride, my own arrogance, my own goodness, my own adherence to the law as imperfect as it might have been. And in doing so, I probably discouraged Christ followers and perhaps even those who were seeking you out. And I admit that today, Father. God, I pray that you would take any kind of religiosity that we may have, anything that's obedience by force away from our lives. God, may you replace the arrogant, prideful us with a want to boast about our weaknesses so that you can be glorified. And then secondary, so that we may be made strong, just like Mike said. God, I thank you that you undid all of religion and that you wanted and desired a relationship. And for those who may hear my voice online or may be in here today and they haven't accepted you as their savior, if they may be people like Mike just said, that you were standing at their door and you were knocking and knocking and knocking and they haven't answered. Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. If you're here or you're listening to my voice and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I know we're a little bit long today and I just wanna give you a moment to accept him as your savior. You can pray a prayer just silently to God. He doesn't ask anything of you other than your belief and your faith in him. And you can pray this prayer along with me this morning. God, I admit that I'm weak. I admit that I'm a sinner. And today I choose to believe in you to be my savior. Help me now to live for you. And if you prayed that prayer and you're in this room today, I want to encourage you to, to go back to guest services to let them know of your decision. They've got a gift for you. If you're listening online, if you're on Facebook Live or you're um, some other way listening to us, I want to encourage you to email us at info at hiltonheadislandcc.org so that we can have record of your decision. Father, I pray that we, your people, would be people who are humble and that you would work through our weaknesses, especially during these days encourage us, give us peace. But God, may we continue to be on mission for you during these days. In your name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.